Hello, everyone. Welcome to ETP Building Blocks. Uh, if you're new, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, <laughs> we're glad to have you back. Um, this week, we decided to talk about dieting trends, um, specifically as kind of a both a humorous and as well as a you know sort of in-depth look at what has gone on over the last 50, 60 years the types of fad diets as well as you know some of the ones that are still around um, and then take a good long look at what we have learned so let's talk about just for a second who are we i'll let dr brad go first most people know him but um i know you have a lot of expertise in sort of um obesity and and what's happened over the last few years maybe you want to talk about some of the research you've done on that uh, yes, yeah, so I'm Dr. Brad. I am the super special guest here on Building Blocks this week, uh, which also means that these people are stuck with me for the next hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what's been really interesting about being a scientist and kind of the obesity, diabetes, metabolic disease realm for about a decade of my life was just like going back and reading all the history of kind of diet studies and you know, how much we've learned since probably the 1940s, um, but also how much we have like kept trying to reinvent the wheel um, for really no additional gain in knowledge. Um, so it's just been really interesting to watch. Like if you kind of watch kind of together all this knowledge um, and then you look at kind of the popular media, how it's just basically kind of spun in this circle back in like, you know, what we knew in the 1940s, basically. Um, and so that's that's been really interesting just to see the juxtaposition. And then now with all the really large clinical trials that have come out between, you know, probably the mid 90s until now, um, you know, we've learned almost everything we need to know about the physiology of dieting. Um, and now it's, you know, really about how do you apply it in the real world in ways that kind of make sense. Yeah, awesome. And we will get into a lot of that at the end, um, you know, as we get through uh, the first part of this uh, slideshow, if you will. Um, so hang tight for kind of the analysis on all of these. Um, but Amber, introduce yourself and then just a little bit about things that you learned as you were doing your research for this. Hey, guys, Coach Amber here. I... Gosh, it was almost like taking a trip down memory lane. Because as we're researching this, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I, oh, my gosh. It was just, it kind of made me giggle anyways as we were doing it. Uh, super excited to be here, talk to you guys about all this stuff and what we've learned from it. And um, goodness, how, I guess, what we can do with that information and, and move forward. Yeah, awesome. Ed, real quick. Hey everyone. So yeah, I'm Coach Ed. I've been around for about two years now with Each to Perform. Um, in terms of what I learned, uh, since I'm a little bit younger, so I haven't been around for a lot of these. Um, but just seeing some of the diet trends, like the Sleeping Beauty diet, I'm actually going to cover. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then uh, supplement that uh, can kill you essentially with some of the ingredients in it. Pretty wild that people go to those extremes to just to lose a few pounds. So. Uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, okay, so then stick around. We'll have time for question and answers at the end of the program. You will be able to type your questions. There is a little question area. I think it's like a hand raised. Just click on that, type out your questions. So we can certainly you know, go through anything that you might have tried in the past or tempted to try now sort of thing and, and address those and any questions you have for any of us, we will take care of. But we are gonna go all the way back to the 1950s and, and I might be older than Ed, but I was not alive. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm gonna let Amber kind of talk about what was happening back then. <laughs> okay, so I wasn't alive either, but let's talk about the cabbage soup diet, where you eat large amounts of cabbage for seven days. I'm just gonna let that sink in. Seven days. Imagine if that's all you're eating. So there's no protein associated with that. And I don't know about you guys, but when I eat some cabbage, man, there's some uh, noise and smells that come out of my body from that. So that's going to be one of the side effects that will happen by eating cabbage for seven days. Whoa. So is this something that's effective? No, you're going to lose a ton of water. It's not sustainable. In order to eat cabbage for seven days, you're going to have to doctor that mother up in order to get it down probably by day two. I mean, I would imagine. Um, so you're going to have a lot of sodium with that, and it's just water loss it is all you're getting from the cabbage soup diet. Nothing sustainable. Um, you're not getting all the macronutrients. It's, it's just not realistic to only eat cabbage. All right, so let's go to the grapefruit diet. So let's say we'll chalk that up. That one, that one wasn't a win, so let's try another one. Let's try the grapefruit. Well, the grapefruit diet is the thought behind it is that you eat a grapefruit before every meal and that there's enzymes in the grapefruit that when eaten, it helps burn fat. So like if I eat this grapefruit and then I can eat this cheeseburger and it's like gonna get all that fat and zap it and get rid of it. And that doesn't happen. I know, I wish it was that easy, but um, no, it's not. So grapefruits don't have any magical unicorn powers. They're delicious and you should definitely eat them, uh, but they are not gonna help you lose weight if you are eating them and then following that up with you know, some cheeseburgers thinking that's burning your fat. So not, not realistic with that one. And the last one from the 1950s was a prayer diet. A prayer diet is where you pray that you lose weight. So I, I think that we still do that today. <laughs> but the thought behind it is that not only do you pray for your weight loss, but you pray that the food that you eat is used for God's purpose and will um, and that you will um, lose weight in the process doing that. So you, you pray for the weight loss. So those are the three from the 1950s that were interesting. Um, I clearly wasn't born in the 50s, but I don't even remember seeing anybody, my family or anybody that I knew that did any one of these diets. So. Yeah, I feel like the grapefruit diet, and I did see some of this in my research, it came back. Um, it was one of those that kind of over, like I think through the 80s, maybe Brad, you know, something about this. Um, just kind of, it was like, just kind of kept coming around. Um, I can remember being a child and and this, you know, the idea of having grapefruit before your meals was still around. Um, you don't really hear about anyone doing the cabbage soup diet. 
Um, I do think, as Brad said before um, we started this call, the prayer diet, I think, is an element in any diet <laughs> these days. Um, Brad, what was the deal with the grape? What do you think made the grapefruit diet kind of keep coming back around? Um, it was easy. Um, whenever I see the grapefruit diet, have you guys ever seen that movie Requiem for a Dream? No. It's like, it's this movie that was, I think it was in the late 90s, early 2000s, where like a lady goes, she wants to lose a bunch of weight to fit in a dress. Um, and so she like has the like grapefruit, coffee, and like one hard boiled egg diet. Um, okay. And she goes like crazy because she starts going down. But it's like every time I see this, I think of that movie. Um, but it's, I mean, the cyclical nature of these things, like the fact that there was a grapefruit diet in the 50s and then in the 80s doesn't surprise me these things like even though most of the diets we see now are some version of what we saw decades ago right um all right amber let's take us to the 60s okay so the 60s takes us now to diet pills so mostly amphetamines which were originally designed for soldiers in world war ii in order uh for them to stay alert uh and what they found was a side effect was uh, a suppressed appetite. So doctors start prescribing it to um, individuals for a diet pill, but there's so many extreme side effects to that that it negates the loss of weight. So it becomes super unsafe for, for anybody to do that and it's highly addictive. Then we get into some diet drinks and all of a sudden tab. Now I am old enough to remember when my mom had tab. <laughs> I remember that coming in the house. So. Tab was a soft drink um, or pop is what I would call it, uh, a diet pop that was um, created with the craze of weight loss. So all of a sudden everybody's trying to lose weight. Well, you know, companies are trying to capitalize on that. And Tab was born out of that idea. Weight Watchers also started up in the 1960s, which I think everybody's heard of Weight Watchers because that's still around today. So Weight Watchers is uh, or or was started by uh, an individual that lost a bunch of weight and took her uh, nutrition plan and tried to create uh, or meet the needs that she had and and create a um, system with not only a nutritional program but with other components to it, um, which is what we know you know has evolved to what we know today. The then the last one from the 60s is high alcohol and protein, a drinking man's diet. Um, what that is, <laughs> which sounds really funny. Um, I think that some people do that, but they don't know that they're doing the drinking man's diet. <laughs> is, what it is, is um, you have a liquid lunch. You um, go out and have a drink and some protein. Um, and low carbohydrates, which is funny because when you think about alcohol, it's metabolized as a carbohydrate and as a fat. Uh, but low carbohydrate diet um, for your lunch is the thought behind it. So out of all of these, I think what we've learned, and, and then Brad, I'll turn it over to you, is that diet pills, we're all going to see those continue through the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Basically what people are trying to do is, is take something and, oh, that doesn't work. Let's see if we can tweak it and make it you know, a little more safe and tweak it and make it a little more safe is that the diet pills became super unsafe, horrible side effects. 
Um, diet drinks have evolved from Tab to a Diet Coke to um, a Diet Dr. Pepper to all sorts of um, chemical processed diet beverages that are available now. Um, Weight Watchers, goodness, um, it started out with a great idea and a great intention, but is only focused on a loss. And what we see today, Brad can attest or elaborate on it, is that it's kind of wash, rinse, and repeat. Weight Watchers is only stuck on the loss part. There's, it's not sustainable at this time. It's not sustainable um, in the 60s. They didn't have any sort of maintenance plan. Then the drinking man's, goodness, sounds like uh, a happy hour. <laughs> I think that's that like, like it's a, been the madman era. Diet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Brad. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, it has been interesting. One of the, I think one of the most interesting pieces is, you know, since, since about the 1950s um, all the way until today, you know, the, the pharmaceutical approach to weight loss. Um, has, is still getting a lot of interest, right? So initially there was these kind of, you know, amphetamine-based pills, appetite suppressants, but they also speed up metabolism. So you kind of get uh, two hits, you know, bang for your buck, so to speak. Um, you know, and then they started looking into, you know, things like just specific appetite suppressants. Then they started looking into, you know, things like uh, fat blockers, so things that prevent the absorption of fat from your diet. Um, and then carbohydrate blockers, and then they started going into um, you know things like uh, trying to target like fat tissue to like increase you know mitochondrial uncoupling. And it's just like gone. They've just tried to figure out every pharmaceutical approach for weight loss, um, and the problem is that either to get a effect robust enough to you know induce meaningful weight loss comes with substantial side effects, right? They're either highly addictive, they come with increased risk of cardiovascular outcomes, et cetera, or they just don't work. Um, so that's that's typically the, the trend that they go to. Um, and so you can still have some of these prescribed by doctors. Um, right. you know, and they're, off, they're often done you know, in pretty extreme circumstances. Uh, TAB, when I was in college, TAB came back for like, a six month period. It was really weird. Like people would show up to parties in college with tab and I was like, what, <laughs> what is this? Like <laughs> it's retro. Are we going yeah. to the drive-in theater next? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> um, but yeah, so that even came back, which was crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, I was going to interject real quick because the idea between a diet, uh, uh, well, the idea behind a diet pill um, is very sexy, I think, and, and especially to the pharmacology world because, you know, you're always looking for that next, you know, blockbuster billion dollar drug. Um, and I, I know that there's a lot of money being spent in this area and, and maybe that will be a, an area for breakthrough in the future. Um, but at this point, there is no real answer to that, right, Brad? Yeah, and I think the other problem is you're not actually solving the problem. You're just kind of maybe delaying it. Um, Cause right. only certain places are going to be able to afford those, use those. They're not, you can't use them forever. So you're not actually solving any problems. You're just kind of temporarily delaying them. Yeah. 
And the interesting thing, we were talking about Weight Watchers. Um, while it did get a lot of, I think that's why it's still around. Um, they did set up a cycle um, where, you know, it was entirely focused on weight loss and no, no energy or time was spent on weight maintenance. So, you know, you'd use them to lose weight, you'd gain weight, you'd need to use them again. There was no real emphasis on using the program and then never having to use the program again, <laughs> right? Um, so they kind of bent, benefited from having these periods where people, um, you know, gained weight and then needed them again. Um, so anything else you want to say about Weight Watchers? Um, not really. I mean, we, yeah. we could go off on a deep end on that one, but we'll, we'll stay right. focused. I love how look at this picture. Like it's the drinking man's diet is the original low carb diet. Like, <laughs> like that cracks me up. And then if you see at the bottom, it says also recommended for teetotalers. So like, how do you do a drinking man's diet when you don't drink? I don't know. Um, I feel like if things going to come back and be the next billion dollar diet might be that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Um, okay, so Ed mentioned the Sleeping Beauty diet. Let's go back real quick. Um, let's go through what we were thinking about in the 1970s. Yeah, so so the grapefruit diet came back. Uh, Amber already touched on that. So, you know, there's supposed to be those enzymes that burn more fat, which is ridiculous. Um, it's just loading up on fiber and stuff like that. It's just controlling calories. And then introduced the Sleeping Beauty diet, which is essentially, it was made popular from Elvis Presley and you sleep up to potentially 20 hours a day. I like this diet. So <laughs> um, that sounds awesome, but it's just time restricted eating and you're just shortening the amount of time that you're eating. So it works just as well as any other fasting protocol that you do. Um, so that's the big takeaway essentially from that. It's just smaller window of eating, that's all. Well, and clearly weight loss is you're going to lose weight from muscle. Anyone who spent any time, amount of time in the hospital um, or, you know, injured or after surgery, um, you know that weight loss is, is typically going to come from muscle. But I thought this was interesting because I feel like in some ways this might be making a comeback and maybe, yeah, through intermittent fasting um, or through some other drugs that induce long periods of sleep. Um, Brad, have you heard anything about, you know, using sleep as a way for, to, to increase weight loss? So I'm going to tell this story and my wife will kill me, but she, uh, so my wife works nights. Right. Um, and so one day she came home, it was like eight in the morning and she was like, I'm so hungry. I was like, well, I'll make you some breakfast before you go to bed. And she's like, nah, I'm going to go to bed hungry and wake up skinny. <laughs> <laughs> so this reminds me of that story um yeah i mean it's just like you know restricting your eating windows to four hours a day you just can't consume that many calories in four hours um so you know whether you sleep or you just don't eat except for four hours a day it kind of has the same effect um so you if you decide you want to practice time restricted eating you don't have to be grandpa joe from willy wonka like can get out of bed and go do things Right. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Um, okay, so, and I also realized, I meant to say, I realized there were other diets going on in these times. These are just the most popular of the time. So um, let's talk about the 80s. This picture of Slim Fast makes me laugh because I can remember 
I'm just yeah, I mean, that you don't have pictures of like 80s hair also I on. Know, right? But I remember downing some SlimFast in my day. So <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, the the SlimFast diet is just another way to control calorie consumption. And essentially what you're gonna do is you take these protein shakes or these shakes, I'm not even sure if they're high protein. Uh, they probably are. But essentially it's just a way to manipulate calorie consumption, keep that really low so you're gonna lose weight pretty quickly. You might get some meal replacement bars as well with them. And I think you get maybe 500 calories uh, for one meal a day outside of that. Um, but so essentially you're just really limiting calorie intake. So that was kind of the big thing with SlimFast. Susie, do you want to mention anything with your experience with it? Or No, I just remember I had a boss one time who was doing SlimFast and yeah. he was like the crankiest person in the world. Um, yeah. so. <laughs> so, do you remember, do you remember yeah. this? It's like a, a shake for breakfast, a shake yeah. for lunch and a sensible dinner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> there were only three flavors, like this picture. There was yeah. chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry, just like the McDonald's milkshakes. Like there's three flavors. <laughs> no other flavors. There's no like coconut or tropical fruit. You got right. three flavors. <laughs> yeah. Right. I feel like a coconut flavored like protein shake would be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Probably. You'd have to like turn it into a pina colada or something to get down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which now, I mean, you can get a slim fast and it's a snack, maybe. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I, there's probably, they still sell them, right? right. And, yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, go on. <laughs> All right, so. The uh oh. And that's Dead for freeze. 40. That's oh. a, oh, okay. Uh, you're breaking up. Maybe turn your camera off. All right. You're back. One, one second, though. I'm going to pause. Go back. Start over. I'm going to. One second. Let me turn off my webcam. Okay. All right. Is this better? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, so the Beverly Hills diet, they claim that you'll lose weight really rapidly and you'll lose a lot of weight in the init in the initiation phase. And the in the initiation phase, you're just consuming fruits. That's it. So, of course you're going to lose weight pretty quickly. You're not consuming any protein, so you're going to be burning through muscle, which is obviously not good for your resting metabolic rate, which is how many calories you burn at rest, but you're also not consuming fats. Um so you're going to probably become nutrient deficient potentially by not getting all your key minerals and vitamins. And then you're also not getting those essential fatty acids, which are important for brain health, eye health, and like heart health even. So obviously it's not the best way to go about things. And then they talk about meal combining or uh, macronutrient combining where you can only have proteins with fats or carbs with fats, uh, but you're not allowed to combine proteins with uh, carbs because it doesn't digest as well. They they just talk about all this nonsense that really it's just not that big of a deal, but it all comes down to calorie restriction as well. So it's just a it's a pretty wild, <laughs> pretty wild diet. Um, you will lose weight really rapidly if you just consume fruit. <laughs> You're starving yourself, essentially. So there's that. Um, the next thing up is Dexatrim, which is a. Uh, a supplement that is very dangerous and it definitely was pulled from the market. They may have reformulated it in the past, but 
essentially it's just a bunch of stimulants and a testosterone booster all, all combined in one. So there might be, I think there's caffeine in there. There's something called ephedra, which is uh, very potent and does work. But um, essentially what it does is artificially raises your heart um, rate, um, which can cause a heart attack or even stroke. So something you really don't want to mess around with. And they can't even sell that anymore because so many people were, were getting very sick and dying from it. Um, I actually think my older sister tried ephedra back in the day. So that's pretty crazy. And then you have Nutrisystem or Jenny Craig, that diet. And it's just another way to restrict calories again. They're able to control how many calories you're consuming by giving you very low calorie foods. And then first thing you get off of all of these diets, you're going to gain the weight back because you go, this just isn't sustainable. Like you're not gonna be able to just do slim fast shakes all the time. You're not just gonna continuously buy uh, the Nutrisystem products all the time. And then you end up gaining that weight back and then it's even harder to lose that weight that you just lost. It's, it becomes too, it takes twice as long potentially to lose that same amount of weight that you just lost. So they're kind of banking on you to lose the weight rapidly. Then you're eventually going to plateau out or you're going to get to your goal weight and then you're going to rebound and gain that weight back potentially. And then hope you go back to that diet because you think it works. But in reality, did it really work because you gained all that weight back and you're right back to square one? So I, I think that's what we kind of learned from all these diets that I just covered and all the ones that Amber covered as well. Yeah, I think it's the psychology wise. Um, clearly, during this era, era, people were looking for someone to tell them exactly what to eat. Um, yeah. I think some of the success behind Nutrisystem is it's all prepackaged food. Um, you know, so they send you what to eat, you eat it. I remember my mom doing this diet. Um, and then, so I remember, you know, half the cupboard having like those microwave meals from Nutrisystem, you know, and like the other right. half was our food. Um, Brad, maybe you can hit on the psychology of what was going on in the 80s. Like I know, um, you know, fast foods were becoming really popular. Um, you know, the, it was kind of the rise of, you know, more, more dual working families. Um, you know, people just really looking for, um, you know, some way to manage um, calorie intake in an easy fashion. Any thoughts on that, Brad? Yeah. So I'm going to put the disclaimer. I was born in 1988. So most <laughs> of my understanding of the 90s or the 80s is uh, is very retrospective. So right, right. there was a lot of stuff going on in the 80s that was really interesting. One is we were about a decade, decade and a half into the like first real push of like designer foods, right? Of like things like Doritos and all these foods that are just like designed to just punch your senses in the mouth, right? Like really fatty, tons of flavor, salty, crunchy, kind of everything. Um, and like, just think about all the foods that came out late seventies, early eighties, like tons of soda companies, lots of chip companies, um, you know, like all, just all that kind of food was really coming out then. And then it also was kind of the rise of, you know, more like dual families, you know, a lot of latchkey kids, um, you know, like convenience became a real big thing. And we didn't really have an understanding of like from the public's perspective of like food quality. Like we just didn't, it was not a thing that was on the radar. So a lot of these prepackaged food options were really just what everybody went to. Um, 
you know, like TV dinners were a big thing, um, you know, frozen meals. When did Schwann's start? Was that in the 80s? I, I honestly think it goes back to like the 50s. But, okay. uh, but yeah, it yeah. might have not seen a lot of growth in the 80s. Yeah, because yeah, I remember as a kid, like in the early 90s, my uh, my neighbors would get like the Schwann's man would come. Like that was the OG <laughs> Uber Eats, right? Yeah. And like yeah. everything they had was very much like this. Um, but so yeah, it was, it was just a really interesting time where it was like product-based diets really became a thing. Like before they were like just weird types of diets, like just based on certain foods. And this is when product-based diets really became a thing, um, you know manufacturing took a big step, logistics took a big step, you know, all the stuff that allowed these kind of product-based diet systems to flourish. Right, and product packaging, all of those things meant to kind of grab your eye and sell you um, on that. But yeah, I definitely remember convenience and then, yeah, zero emphasis on food quality, so. I, I do remember, so Nutrisystem, in college, um, somebody I knew, their mom had like, bought a bunch of Nutrisystem and then was like, screw this, I hate it, I'm not doing it. And so yeah. she came back from home with like boxes of Nutrisystem food. And I was like, and they were like, anybody want this stuff? My mom wants to get rid of it. And like, dude, I'll take it, it's free food. I'm in college, <laughs> I have no money, this is like, this is great. So I remember we had in our pantry like a bunch of like Nutrisystem chili and soups <laughs> and like all sorts of stuff that we were just like, this is great, free food. That's, yeah. That was pretty funny. Um, Amber, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say that Beverly Hills diet that Ed was describing sounds like South Beach. Sounds like it yeah. made a comeback with a new name called South Beach, which I can't remember if that was 90s or 2000s. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and we'll get into the 90s here. And, and I do want to ask Dr. Brad kind of how the rise of, um, you know, the idea that, that fats were really bad for you um, started. Um, but this is the low fat era. So, you know, the time when eating eggs and bacon um, was seen as really, uh, really bad. Um, you had all the, the products. Do you guys remember those like snack wells? <laughs> the zero yeah. fat they're, yeah. like, they're like the fake cookies, you know, right? Yeah, so. uh, those were real cookies. Okay. Yeah, the devil food <laughs> ones, the chocolate covered devil food. They were. Yes. I'm totally ruining Brad's childhood right now. Um, <laughs> Pretty much. But yeah, I mean, you were you were thought that, you know, as long as it was low fat, you could eat it. Um, and so the way to make low fat food taste better um, was to pump it full of artificial sweeteners. Um, so I think a lot of our dependence on, on um, you know, the artificial sweeteners began in mm -hmm. the 90s. And it's taken decades um, to undo some of the thought process behind, you know, fats aren't bad for you um you know you think about um skim milk is still very popular you know obviously people um what is it like the i can't believe it's not butter <laughs> kind of things you know just these 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 food replacements um you know when we think back to what our grandparents ate um the, our diet in the 90s looked nothing like that right so all yeah, that well, go ahead yeah but a big reason for the kind of the low fat push in the 90s really stemmed from cardiovascular research. Um, and that's really where most of it came from. So the kind of the, the back history and story there is the, you know, we were starting to really understand that one of the major causes of death was cardiovascular disease. Um, 
And the Framingham Heart Study had started it was probably 20 years before the 90s. Um, and so a lot of that long-term outcome-based data was coming out. And they were starting to tie it to things like cholesterol, right? So there was this association between cholesterol um, and heart disease. And at the time, they were really just starting to get into like hardcore nutrition science research of like basic biochemistry, isotopic tracer studies, all that stuff. And the initial data was starting to kind of show people, you know, dietary fat may alter blood cholesterol levels. Um, and those are some of the early studies. And so they kind of came out with this idea of, you know, reducing dietary fat lowers, you know, blood lipids, which reduces cardiovascular disease. And it's also, you know, since it's so energy or dense, reduces caloric intake. And so that was really where kind of the, the first low fat push came from was kind of the cardiovascular literature. Mm -hmm. And was there proof that low fat did reduce cholesterol levels? Um, a little bit. There was a few studies that showed some effect. Part of the problem was that we're all confounded by weight loss. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when we know weight loss is the biggest driver of reductions in um, serum cholesterol, um, along with other cardiovascular markers, right? Blood pressure, um, inflammation, all kind of the whole, all the pieces that go into actually causing cardiovascular disease are all reduced by weight loss. So even the outcomes and the kind of the surrogate lipid markers are all decreased with weight loss. So when you have these large, low fat, low calorie diet studies and they lose weight, you know, they reduce the whole panel of things that influence cardiovascular disease. Right, well that makes sense. Um, you know, some of the other things that began in the 90s and obviously, um, you know, continued, um, the Atkins diet, um, clearly um, that is still around in, in the sense of a low carb. Um, Fenfen, um, obviously that was a pharmaceutical drug. Brad, you can talk about this maybe a little bit more, but people actually saw weight loss from this drug, but then the side effect was severe cardiovascular damage, correct? Yeah, um, I'm just, I'm actually gonna pull it up because I haven't looked at the like main mechanisms of action and I'm pretty sure um, they were mostly related to appetite suppressant. And I'm pretty sure it was a little bit different than like ephedrine or like the amphetamines where it wasn't, uh, wasn't primarily targeted at, you know, changing metabolic rate and things like that. It was more of appetite control. Um, so it was kind of a, an anorexic based drug where it just made you not eat food. Right. It, yeah, it did. It caused, um, if I remember correctly, it was like pulmonary hypertension. So it caused, you know, kind of backup of fluid and then it also caused uh, heart valve problems. Right. Yeah, so that was pulled from the market. And then clearly we have, um, you know, the beginnings of the zone diet, blood type dilate, um, intro to paleo. I think um, my big takeaway from the 90s is there was a lot of emphasis on food that was bad. Um, so it, I think this is where our, our guilt association with, um, having foods that are off limits, um, things that you don't eat, um, really took hold, right? So it wasn't so much about just reducing your calories, increasing your activity. It then became, um, the beginnings of like good food, bad food list. Um, mm -hmm. and we're still seeing a lot of psychological <laughs> feedback, you know, or psychological damage. Um, from having foods that, that when we eat them, um, we feel guilty for eating them. So, 
Um, but let's go on. Let's get into the 2000s and then we're going to get into today. Um, I put the subway diet on here just because that's, you know, a little bit laughable now. But clearly, Jared lost a bunch of weight um, just eating subway. Um, you guys know. Um, not much more to say about that. I don't know. I, you know, the funny thing is I was a pharmaceutical rep um, as my first job and I ate Subway for lunch like every day for years and I cannot eat it now. So like, I can't even stand to like go into a Subway shop and smell the bread because I just ate it so much. Um, then we have the Mediterranean diet. This is what brought back healthy fats into our life. I think um, there are a lot of things that the Mediterranean diet gets right. Um, except for there's an emphasis on really no red meat um, or limiting your red meat to like two times a month. Um, I don't know. And Brad, you can talk about a little bit about the effects of red meat, if that's really played out over time. Um, but it was definitely, you know, focus on olive oil and, you know, sort of your healthy um, omega-3 fats and that sort of thing. Um, and then uh, it's kind of billed as a very cardiovascular friendly diet, um, just based on the fact that people who live in Mediterranean areas um, tend to have an overall better health profile. Um, any clarification on that one, Brad? Yeah, so uh, the Mediterranean diet study, um, which is now called the PREDIMED study, um, is probably the largest nutritional clinical trial that's ever been done. Um, and <clears throat> I mean, it's it's very clear that you know following that type of eating pattern um, reduces your risk of you know cardiovascular disease compared to you know kind of the standard American diet. I mean, I think that's pretty uncontroversial. Um, but the some of the problems there are you know it's not the only approach that reduces cardiovascular disease, right? It is one dietary pattern that works. Um, in practice. I mean, part of the issues, you know, you, you talked about the red meat pieces. Most of the evidence on red meat in any kind of poor outcomes is primarily based on processed red meat. Um, and kind of when you bifurcate those into unprocessed and processed, the unprocessed red meat consumption, as long as it's not absurd, um, doesn't really appear to carry a lot of risk in terms of kind of nutritional intervention or uh, nutritional epidemiology studies, excuse me. Um, so, you know, the Mediterranean diet, obviously it's, you know, if you eat a diet that's, you know, rich in healthy protein sources, um, you get vegetables, you get fruits, um, you have some whole grains, you get some olive oil, uh, you're gonna be fine, right? And that's basically what the Mediterranean diet kind of shows you. Um, so, there's nothing earth shattering about that discovery, but it's just kind of like a, a lumped term to describe kind of that eating pattern. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, we have this cleanse. I think of the most popular cleanse was this lemonade diet where it was like lemonade, maple syrup and cayenne pepper. And then you spend about a week in the bathroom and you <laughs> five pounds or 10, you know, and then, um, I forget the time period, but I think it's an extensive, like 30 days kind of thing. The master uh, cleanse. Yes, the master cleanse, right? Um, and and I think you know the idea that your body needs some sort of um, detoxification period is is pretty bogus. Um, I can let um, Brad talk about you know our cleanse is really effective or not, um, but 
psychology behind this, I think, is, you know, people feel like maybe they need to suffer. Um, maybe they feel like, you know, I spent all of December having too much alcohol and, and chocolate and, and desserts. And so now it's time for a cleanse to reset my body. We hear that a lot. Um, what, 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 if anything, does a cleanse do, Brad? Um, besides, I mean, if you go the, the lemonade, like this lemon juice, maple syrup, cayenne pepper route, it's probably not going to cost you very much money. Um, but like all these very expensive juice cleanses and cleanse programs, the only thing you lose is quite a bit of money. Um, you know, you, your liver does most of the quote detoxification in your body, right? So you have, you know, phase one and phase two enzymes that basically take products that your body shouldn't have. And it basically processes all of those. Um, and you know, that's a 4 billion year old evolved mechanism. So the fact that you think maybe, um, you know, a kale smoothie is going to cleanse your body, whereas four billion years of evolution has designed it to do that. Um, that's a little silly. You also have your kidneys, right? Those those are also active, you know, detoxification systems. So basically your body, between your kidneys and your liver, you filter, oh, I want to say it's like your full blood volume gets filtered anywhere from like 30 to 60 times a day through both those organs. Um, and at your liver... You know, you have all these phase one and phase two enzymes that breaks all that stuff down. Um, and in your kidneys, most of those things get pushed into the urine space, you know, 60 times a day. Um, so your body does a good job of handling most of that stuff. And there's been no evidence from anything that suggests these cleanses do anything other than just cost you money. Right. And serve as a, like a form of punishment. And it's kind of what I was saying, what was, took root in the 90s, if, you know, maybe the guilt over food. Mm -hmm. uh, cleanses have just amplified that as a way to kind of absolve yourself from from a period <laughs> of poor eating, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, so up to now, obviously, these are all the things we're dealing with now. There's juicing, gluten-free. You know, the question is, you know, who really needs to be gluten-free? Um, Whole30, we all know about that, the emphasis on no sugar, um, you know, cutting out foods for 30 days. Um, and then seeing how you feel. There's a whole concept behind apple cider vinegar being some sort of magical um, agent that can help you drop weight. Um, keto, uh, I, I would say keto and intermittent fasting are the two biggest crazes going on right now. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, they are just versions of what we saw in earlier decades. Um, and I do believe that that will play out <laughs> over time. Um, Brad, you posted a, a study on your Facebook page that talked about the initial weight loss from keto. You want to mention that real quick? Yeah, so that was um, that was published. That was uh, Kevin Hall was one of the authors on that paper. And basically they looked at um, – they put people on like a very low-carbohydrate ketogenic diet or another calorie-restricted diet. And they looked at people's objective intake versus their self-reported intake and they basically showed that people who do go on a ketogenic diet under consume calories more than they think initially right so if you take two people and you put them on a calorie matched diet the people who are on a ketogenic diet will just eat less food and they'll have a little bit more initial weight loss due to that and also due to just the massive water depletion basically that your body goes through um, but the problem is is that difference doesn't last over time, right? And they actually end up consuming more once their dietary patterns adjust, right? It's kind of like, you know when you switch to a brand new food that you just don't really like all that much? 
you just don't eat as much of it. Um, and when you don't have as much variety, you don't eat as much. So that's usually what happens to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I think the studies have played out that that low carb versus um, high carb don't doesn't really there's not really one or the other that causes more weight loss. Um, it's just what's more sustainable over time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then carnivore, that's a newer one coming out is you just eat massive amounts of protein. Um, I don't know if alcohol is included, but it might be a repeat of what we saw in the sixties. Um, but yeah, I mean, we no need to really go through all of these. You guys kind of get, get what we're talking about, but let's, um, so yeah, so this, um, over time, uh, the prevalence of obesity among adults, 20 to 74, this is from the 60s, um, all the way to what would be projected um, for 2030. And then this includes all ethnic groups, all levels of education, um, and all socioeconomic levels. So um, rich, poor, um, there's no group that has not been um, uh, or not seen a rise in obesity. Um, and what's what's really interesting about this is this has persisted despite there being, you know, very aggressive diets besides, you know, despite there being thousands of books published every year, um, you know, despite all these other pieces. So I think if anything, you can kind of draw the conclusion of the answer to a lot of these problems is not another diet book right or like another extreme version of you know how extreme can you go to try to see some sort of result right it it obviously tells you that there needs to be some large systemic change um in terms of behavior patterns and you know how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis right and talking about behavior patterns Um, that's what we're talking about here. When you talk about energy intake, energy expenditure, um, you know, less physical activity over time, um, you know, and obviously we can talk a little bit about why that is. Um, Brad talked about, you know, this access to inexpensive, um, and abundant food. No longer need to work for transportation. So talk a little bit about what's going on. Yeah, I mean, if you if you really think about, you know, just what's happened is we have way easier access to calorie-dense foods. Um, we don't really – most of us are not cognizant of how much we eat in a given day. And then most of us, our physical activity is really defined to the hour we're in the gym every day. I mean, I even think about, like, my own life, and most mornings I wake up, I walk to the kitchen, which is, like, 14 steps because I have long legs. Um, then I walk another 14 steps to my office and I sit at my computer and I sit there all day and then I go to the gym and I work out and I come home and in the winter, maybe I shovel the driveway for 10 minutes because my driveway is tiny. Um, and then that's it. Like that's really the extent of my physical activity. I mean, I take the dog on a walk, you know, that's a couple thousand steps, but overall, you know, my caloric expenditure is not not really that high. Um, <clears throat> like if you look historically at data from people, you know, in the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, their caloric expenditure, like probably even somebody Susie's, you know, stature is probably 
you know, close to 3,000 calories a day just because they're walking around, they're doing a lot of chores, their job is physically active, you know, they don't take their car everywhere, they, you know, they walk down the street if they need to, um, and now it's probably like just your daily active everything is like closer to 2,000, right? So you add, kind of add this large drop in just daily physical activity, and then you add onto it an extra 400, 500 calories a day of intake, and you really explain virtually all of the problems we see based on just those two things, right? It's, it's not this conspiracy of, oh my God, we have higher gluten content in our wheat because of Monsanto, or <laughs> you know, we switch from table sugar to high fructose corn syrup and added 5% more fructose in our diet that's causing all these problems. Maybe it's something as simple as like, we all just move a lot less because of how we've pushed all of our jobs, um, just our whole societal structure, and we just consume more food because it's easier to get and it's we don't have to cook it as much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it seems common sense. Um, I think we, we try to blame, like I said, the food industry or, or you know, we try to, you know, make um, enemies out of food like high fructose corn syrup. Um, I didn't include that here, but I remember when when that was, you know, a big fat don't eat it. Um, I think any comments on this, Amber? No, I, I, I think Brad got it. I mean, that's kind of where we are in today's society, less physical activity. Um, you know, food or fresh food is super expensive, but, uh, the food that was created in the eighties and nineties isn't, um, which, you know, and everybody's really busy. So, you know, we're leaning back on that convenience factor and, um, it's, I think there are things that we can do to improve and work on this. It doesn't mean that this is the end all be all and, and we don't have to be physically active. But I think like Brad gave the scenario of his day, you know, he can work some physical activity and set a timer on your watch to get up from your computer and take a lap around your yard. <laughs> have you seen how much snow is in my yard? It'd be like, <laughs> I gotta get the blowtorch out and melt it so I can walk oh, around. Brad. Excuses. All I'm hearing is excuses. <laughs> yeah. See, this is what people. This is what people don't see. I just get hammered by my employees every day. <laughs> well, here we're talking about, you know, what what can we do? Um, you know, I think uh, this for, to this first comment, most people who lose large amounts of weight regain it um, completely within a few years. That has been played out time and time again. Um, so losing large amounts of weight. Um, typically when this happens quickly, um, you're more likely to, to have it come back. Um, and it's more likely to be from the result of some sort of, um, drastic diet, right? Um, you know, severe calorie restriction, um, that list of good foods, bad foods, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, small changes in diet and physical activity, um, have proven to be more effective. Um, and Brad, I'm sure you can dive into the research on this. Um, I know, you know, we need to focus on prevention um, and behavior change and then um, a, a massive sort of emphasis on food quality overall, um, mm -hmm. I think will help. Um, comments on this, Brad? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I really would like people to understand more um, is People who have really large amounts of weight to lose, like let's say you're 300, 400, 500 pounds, 
your first goal should be, you know, let's get enough off to get most of the health benefits, you know, however we can. And then let's start to think about this as more of a, how do I over the next 10 years get to where I really want to be? Um, because that's a more sustainable approach. And what most people don't really realize is, you know, a 10% reduction of body weight from wherever you are um, pretty much reduces most of your risk of diabetes, heart disease, et cetera, right? So that let's say you're 300 pounds, getting to 270 provides right? All of your cardiovascular risk markers are going to drop substantially, um, you know, all that stuff. And then once you get there, then it's like, okay, you know, we don't have to go from 300 to 180 to be healthy, right? We can go from 300 to 270, get 90% of the benefit, and then start chipping away five at a time over the next few years. Um, and your overall risk profile has been substantially reduced. Mm -hmm. The other side of the equation, you know, is people who kind of have this, you know, seven to 12 extra pounds is ask yourself the question of how much do you want to battle that for the next, you know, 20 years, right? Do you always want to be bouncing around or you just want to start getting things together so you don't have to overly worry about that every six to nine months? Um, I always tell people it's kind of like the, your financial life, right? Is it's like, do you want to, you know, try to save, $20,000 in one month or do you want to be like okay I'm just going to set up a system to where you know every month or every week or every two weeks I get my paycheck X amount goes to my retirement X amount goes to this and then you just have a system in place that you know in five years you're exactly where you want to be you know you're not like oh well I saved that then and then I forgot and kind of things got out of my control and now I have to catch up and you know, it's really starting to think about things like that. Yeah, I think that's a great, um, a great way to look at it. And, you know, I know that's one of the things that we work with, you know, our clients on is, is these, you know, taking off these, you know, working in smaller chunks, um, you know, versus, you know, looking for large amounts of weight loss. And I think that, you know, by covering, you know, and, you know, kind of a, a humorous way, a little bit, the, the things that have been popular over the years, um, just to really emphasize the fact that, that ultimately it comes down to, you know, an equation of, you know, physical activity, exercise, food quality, those sorts of things more than it does like what foods do I need to eat for my blood type? Um, I got some DNA testing and my DNA says I can't eat that, you know, those sorts of things. Um, so I think we're always going to be dealing with fad diets. Um, I don't think those are going anywhere. Um, but you know, having more education, um, you know, knowing what's really going to be effective long term. Um, I think all of these things will make a difference over time. Um, is there anything, Ed, I didn't go to you. Is there anything else you want to get across before we close out? Yeah, I just say uh, just find something that's sustainable. Don't do something that is going to make you lose weight very rapidly that isn't going to be something that you could do long term, such as keto for a lot of people. That's very hard. You know, if you like carbs, then you're probably not going to be able to stick to that long term. You know, just try to get to a healthy weight initially, like Brad said. And, you know, the, the quicker you lose weight, the quicker you're probably going to gain it back if you do gain it back, which most people do. And it makes it significantly harder for you to lose that weight a second time. 
Um, I know Lane Norton talks about that. I think he came out with a book and he, he shows data. Every time you lose weight and then gain it back, it becomes harder and harder. It takes double or triple or quadruple the amount of time to lose that same amount of weight. Um, so the more times you diet, the more times you do those fad diets where you just um, yo-yo diet and gain the weight back, you're just digging yourself in a deeper hole. So you want to find a plan that's more sustainable for you to help you get there and try to remove that short timeline that you have for yourself um, and extend it out because then in maybe two years, you're closer to where you want to be or you're at where you want to be. So just take it slow and find something more sustainable for you. Yeah. 100% agree. Amber, any final thoughts? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Brian, any last thoughts before we go to questions? No, I got nothing. You got nothing. Oh, that's funny. So we've covered it all. Um, okay, well, we will, you know, is there anyone that has any questions, um, you know, anything you want to do? Why don't you briefly talk about the book we have coming up? for you guys oh so amber just broke the seal of silence i see oh no, um yeah so not not this coming week but the following week we'll have a new book that's coming out um that's basically the culmination of everything we've learned over the last five years um written into a book format and if you guys have ever had a book from us in the past this one will be way different because we actually have somebody who's like a professional editing it and like making it look really good. I'm like, dang, this is nice. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah, I know we will. Um, we have not grown up come <laughs> in and helped me grow up. Um, so yeah, that'll be, we'll have more information on that next week. Um, so we'll kind of make a big announcement about it next week. Yeah, so consider yourself, your lucky Building Blocks listener um, get some privileged information there. Um, but, yeah, definitely something to look forward to. I'm excited about it. I think we're all excited. Um, I think one of our, um, not think, I know one of our core values at Each Reform is to share the knowledge that we have gained. Um, and so we are always continually looking for ways to share um, the things that we know with you. Um, and have you share those with your family members and your friends and, you know, the people that you work out with and, and touch on a daily basis. Because um, I think the more people who have access to high quality um, information, uh, obviously the better. Um, and just, you know, the better in general um, as far as, you know, looking at these overall population rates. So. All right. Well, I don't see any questions. Um, I think we will sign off and we will be back again. I think our next um, topic will be related specifically to the book and, and we'll have some you know good interviews going on um, as far as, as what's involved with that. So Brad, right. anything you're doing this weekend? Um, I'm going to watch the GU game because my okay. boy is number one in the country. And uh, I'm gonna shovel, <laughs> and that's probably. I think we're gonna go snowshoeing on Sunday. That's Ooh. that's on the agenda. So. That's awesome. All right. Well, um, Amber, you obviously didn't go to the Arnold this weekend, but do you have any other plans? Nope, I didn't go to the Arnold because I'm headed to Vegas 
in two weeks. Oh, nice. I know. My oldest is lifting um, at Youth Worlds for Team USA. Yes. Dang. So no. I know. She got all her gear. Uh, they shipped her gear. So she's got her singlet with her name on it and the warm-up suit and the backpack and all the badges to get in and out of everywhere before she flies out um, next Saturday. So no Arnold this weekend for us because we're headed to Youth Worlds. That's legit. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right, Ed, what you up to? I'm just going to see my sister. She lives in New Jersey. I'm 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 in PA for now. So yeah, just going to visit her. Awesome. All right. Well, I have a chill weekend in Colorado going on. I hope you guys all have um, a very fun, relaxing, active, whatever you want it to be weekend. And we will see you back in a few weeks. All right. Take care, guys. Bye, Bye everyone. Guys.